I don't know if I think about it, maybe the maybe the seed of it started when I was a kid and my grandmother was a poet, so she would read to me all these Sufi poems, you know, when I was a kid. But I think it sort of um, puts a seed in your mind to view the world in, in, in such a way, you know, to the view the world in a more like a, let's say, like a spiral than like than like a linear thing, you know, because things do reoccur. There are cycles. I mean, if you think about cosmology, I mean, there, there are cycles all the time. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a journalist for nearly 20 years, most recently as the home and design director at Departures Magazine. And this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. In this episode, I speak with someone who is proving today that the age-old pursuit of painting is more alive and exciting than it has been in years, Ali Banasadar. The canvases of Ali have the energetic elegance of Kandinsky, the twisted characters of Max Ernst, and, dare I say it, the swirling brilliance you'd see in a Van Gogh. Raised in Iran during the revolution before moving to the United States, Ali has established himself as a prolific talent on top of his game. He's had solo shows around the world, and his works have been added to museum collections, including the Met in New York, the Centre Pompidou in Paris, the British Museum in London, and MoCA in Los Angeles. Even in the pandemic, the painter is having his moment. He has a solo show up currently at the Museo Stefano Bardini in Florence, has his first major monograph out this spring from Rizzoli, and has debuted his latest show up now at the Casman Gallery in New York. Not only is his work technically impressive, but he combines carefully observed introspection with a deep understanding of the history of painting and a kind of scholarly approach. In his new book, Joe Lynn Hill sums up the work very well, writing, The impact of the work is immediate and intense, seductive but confounding, drawing the viewer into a remarkable space of the imagination, filled with profuse details, painterly pyrotechnics, and the otherworldly inhabitants whose goings-on seem to invite our recognition and understanding, yet remain entirely inscrutable. The most surprising thing to learn about Ali? For all of his work's brooding intensity, he's a grounded, warm, and very friendly guy. I spoke with the genius at his home in New York just a few days after his show opened at Kazman. Your childhood in Iran, you were born a little bit before the revolution. And so you were kind of growing up in the 80s, having probably a very different childhood than I, I think we're about the same age, my childhood in the 80s versus uh, your childhood in the 80s. When I close my eyes and I think of the early 80s, I think of like watching HBO and like playing Nintendo and 80s furniture and 80s red colored wall-to-wall carpets. And I, I have a very, you know, like Stranger Things sort of vision of the 80s in my head. As a, as a kid growing up, what was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, set, I was born in 76. So like basically four years later, you, you had the revolution, which was such a huge thing in Iran. And like, you know, everyone was talking about it. And the energy around was just like, you know, a country that went from one political way to a totally different way. And then right after that, you had eight years war with Iraq, which you know, it was like complete chaos. And as a kid, I think, um, growing up in it, growing, growing up in it, I, I didn't know any other way of, you know, like how's your childhood. Um, so 
you know, the bombing and the explosions and some, you know, most of it was not, I mean, I saw, I would see some visual aspects of the war too and aftermaths and stuff, but it was mostly like sounds and and vibrations and explosions. So I would make drawings. I would always make drawings to try to understand this, this, these sounds and these explosions and stuff. And then, so like, yeah, it's not a normal, normal situation when you compare it to other uh, you know others like people's like childhoods but then we came to us when i was 12 and i got exposed to all the stuff you were talking about like you know video games and and hip-hop and <laughs> you know yeah i mean when i lived in california um i found like a community of friends who we were doing graffiti art we had been given a wall to to paint on and uh this was like uh let's see it was probably like in my 20s that's when i moved to san francisco and it was just like a golden age in san francisco for some reason during that time and you had like people coming from all over us and from europe so we had this wall and we had like people coming and wanting to like collaborate with us and it was just like such a great community of artists you know like we we also did like non-graffiti stuff and talked about art history and things like that but it was like for it was kind of like a way of um trying to make art talk about art have a community of artists together without like going to art school because none of us we were like sort of like rebelling against art going to art school so we just wanted to create our own sort of thing <laughs> which was great because later when i did decide to go to art school i had gotten that sort of like you know, I was ready to like really learn things and, and I had experimented with all kinds of stuff already. So I've got that out of my system and I wanted to like go to art school so I could learn, apply to what I've already, I've already learned. Yeah. And so what came first? Did you want to go to art school specifically in New York or did you want to kind of go to New York and like what came first? It's sort of like chicken and egg. Like was it the art school or was it New York itself? Uh, a friend of me and a friend of mine, I remember, um, a friend of mine said, "Oh, it's your birthday. Um, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a Greyhound ticket for us to go from California to New York." And I was like, "Okay, let's do it." So we, we, you know, of course, it took like three days on a Greyhound, but we, oh, wow. we, we got here. And when I got to New York, I think I, the things I saw, it just made me think, "This is, this is it. This is where I want to live. Like, this is what I've been looking for." And it felt it felt like home right away, you know. Like I just I just knew that this is where I want to be. This is what I've been looking for. This is a place that I always dreamed about, you know. Because I was always interested, even as a little kid, I was always interested in knowing about the world and you know, learning about different cultures, learning about their, you know, their their history, learning about their their mythology, their religion, and stuff like that. I was always, you know, I, I grew up reading. Um, Adventures of Tintin. Do you know mm -hmm. the the French sort of comic, or as we would say, Tintin? But it's not; it's really Tintin. <laughs> yeah, Tintin, Tintin, and Milu, and not Snowy. Um, so they would, you know, in, in his in the books, he's always going to different places, discovering different cultures, and and I think that really, I, I would read these books. You know, there's only like I don't know, maybe twelve or fifteen, and in Farsi, I would read it. Wow one to the other and then again and again and again and now my my kids are you know reading it 
I'm reading it to them and they love it. But I, I think that, yeah, coming to New York, I feel like all those things were suddenly in front of my face. And I was like, this is this is where I want to move to. So this was like in late 90s. And I came back to San Francisco and I just made the decision right away. I'm moving to New York and I'm going to art school. And I moved in 2000. Before we return to Ali, I'd like to thank our sponsor, B&B Italia, a leader in luxury designer furniture. Founded in 1966, the company stands out for its representation of contemporary culture and for its research and innovation, which has allowed the brand to create products with unique style and elegance. The brand is the fruitful partnership between the company's research and development center in Northern Italy and the best international design professionals. The iconic products of B&B Italia radically mark the history of design. The brand has so many legendary pieces, and there's one to fit every personality. If I were to suggest an icon of B&B Italia to Ali, I would suggest La Bombole by Mario Bellini. This now classic 70s piece resembles a large pillow forged into an elegant sofa. And as a busy painter and father, I think the versatile design would fit well into his busy Brooklyn home. La Bombole not only comes in various colors, the bright red is my personal favorite, but in three sizes, armchair, two-seater, and three-seater. Which iconic work of design is right for your personality? Visit bebitalia.com for more information. The show at New York's Kasman Gallery, These Specks of Dust, is open until June 26. It features nine large canvases, and like all of Ali's work, it's deeply personal. These Specks of Dust also includes a new large-scale diptych, the first multi-panel work by the artist in six years. I asked Ali what story the show was trying to tell. Yeah, I mean, with with every show, the way I begin is sort of like um, there's a lot of research about whatever topic that I'm interested in the time. And like that could be a combination of uh, current event things that are happening, which then makes me kind of like dive into history and try to like see echoes of whatever it is that is occupying my mind, like in history and in art history and personal history. So with the works in the Kasman show, it it began with a painting actually called Red, which I made in January 2020. And uh, while I was making the painting, there was certain symbols and certain things happening in the painting that to me, like it felt quite something was anxious and wrong something something that i felt that was in the air maybe that um i don't know like there's a there's a symbol of a blue blue sun with like these like white dots that are like sort of spreading all over the sky and i sort of didn't know why it's going towards that direction but i just knew that um and you know with a lot of my paintings it sort of works that way because i don't use references or anything i i do a lot of research and and sort of consume a lot of visual things but when it comes to like actual painting, like I just sort of dive into the abyss and it goes where it goes. And I kind of like, um, it's, 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 I'm kind of open to things I receive within my own mind and imagination and then, and then how it manifests in the painting. So yeah, it started with this painting and this painting was supposed to go to Art Basel Hong Kong, which obviously didn't happen. And I felt like we had unfinished business because there was there was a lot of things that I felt like it still needed to like um manifest itself. So when the when the work came back to the studio, 
in March, obviously, like pandemic was already here and I knew exactly what those fragmentations that were in the paintings, like what they needed to become. So that sort of set off the series of the paintings, like beginning of the pandemic and and then and then of course the rest of the the rest of the paintings are like themes that have to do with so many different things, but I think they all have like this sort of like in the space when you see them, they all have this kind of uh, cosmological conversation with each other. And where does the title come from? These specks of dust. Yeah. <laughs> so, so titles are like quite important for my work. They have to sort of be an umbrella for many different things that I was thinking about in each painting or, or, or like a title of a show. And they sort of like, um, it's strange to say, but the titles sort of vibrate when I, when I write something or read something that sort of uh, speaks to me, they, they have this sort of like, they, they vibrate, they kind of give off this sound to me that I feel like there's something there. It's speaking to me, just like how imagery could speak to me when I look at other paintings or music or whatever. Like I think words also do that. So um, I had written down this title before from one of my favorite artists, Goya, from his Los Caprichos series. But then um, vis- visiting the Met and seeing the show, the, the Goya's graphic show, mm-hmm. I saw this, this, this etching again. And I saw that it, you know, the title was Those Specks of Dust. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, wow, that just, I don't know, that just does it. That just kind of like captures so many things, so many different elements that I've been thinking about during all this time. So I felt like it just made sense to use that for the title of the show. Before we return to Ali, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Artemist. Artemist is the world's fastest growing online retail destination for exclusive Italian luxury design, decor, lighting, and gifts. Founded in 2015, Artemist celebrates and preserves authentic Italian craftsmanship by providing a global platform for independent designers and artisans. The site represents over 1,000 independent producers designer makers and artisans, and features thousands of exclusive products. The unparalleled online edit you find on Artemist includes the most extraordinary Italian makers for which the country is world-renowned. Design lovers and casual shoppers alike can shop through more than 50,000 works of furniture, lighting, decorative arts, entertaining, and gifts. And you could take a closer look with multimedia content such as 360-degree views, videos, and detailed descriptions of each maker's history and specialized techniques. Listeners to The Grand Tourist can enjoy 10% off at Artemist with the code THEGRANDTOURIST. That's one word. So visit Artemist.com for more information. That's A-R-T-E-M-E-S-T dot com. key to understanding Ali's work is not only his past, but how he recalls and processes these events in his life and channels these memories into his work. While this is shared by many artists, in Ali's case, it's combined with his synesthesia, a condition where the senses can become crosswired. Something visual can be perceived as having a kind of sound or even generate a kind of taste in the mouth. I wanted to dig deeper into how these two elements of memory and perception collide in his work. This is actually a good time to bring up your synesthesia. What is it exactly, and what does it mean for your life and for your work? Yes. 
So for me, it's um, let's say if I listen to certain sounds or music, these could automatically turn into visual things in my head, or the reverse of it, where I could look at visual things and they turn into sounds and colors and shapes and textures and movements. Um, so it, it's quite intense this sort of mixing of senses for me you know like things could turn into color things could turn into taste but and by taste i don't mean like food but like i don't know like i could taste like metal in my mouth or it's just like it's just like when your senses are um they're they're like the door has been opened and they're just sort of like um flowing into each other so, it, but it's quite helpful for the paintings because when I'm when I'm painting and I'm putting down a color, a line, or a shape, like these could turn into sounds for me. But then, like I could hear that I could kind of when I ah, it's hard to explain, but when I put down like a note of sound, I could kind of hear what the next note should be. So then I make the next stroke or color or whatever based on that and so on and it's just like as if you're playing the piano and you're heading one key but then you know what the next key is and then you put the next key and the next key so on a good day when i'm painting it's like that it's like it's like you you you're kind of like you know what the next sound should be in the next sound and the next note and the next note and so on um but then but then a figure could present itself to me too by like a sound of like breathing and moving and heaviness and or lightness and things like that so i think in in painting it works like that so it's quite literal like if you if you see let's say does that mean if you see a sunset there is an actual like taste in your mouth for example mm -hmm. or a sound will or like a vibration even you know like like a uh, you could because I do look at the sunset quite a lot on my on my roof deck, and and there's like a sort of like a vibration sound that I I could hear from it, um, and that's how I'm able to like sort of remember it, and then and then but and then use it in the painting. But like it, when I use it in the painting, it doesn't have to be the actual sunset. It could be like that that vibration, you know, that that feeling of that vibration that could manifest itself in the painting in a different way. And so the way the way I like consume things you know let's say literature poems things or you know like things like that it's sort of like um it's sort of like you're 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 understanding its nature and it's and it's maybe the headspace around it and these things sort of stay with me and when i'm painting i'm able to like go to these places and be able to like use those elements in the painting somehow and how were you first uh... I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this is something that you kind of, you've had your entire life. Is that true? Yes, but I wasn't, I wasn't aware because how do you know that, how do you know that you're the only one feeling that way? You think everybody maybe feels that way. But then once, you know, I started talking to some people, I started to realize that, you know, it's, it's not something that everybody feels so intensely. Maybe people do have a sense of it to a certain degree, but like, I guess in my case, it's like very, it could be very, very intense sometimes, you know? Intense how? Um, intense in a way that I was describing, like, you know, like, uh, uh, let's say you imagine something that's 
obviously never happened to you, but I could feel I could feel it that it's happened to me in such a vivid, intense way that if that that if like this this thing has happened, like I've fallen down from a building and hit the ground, you know, the, you know these kind of things. But like I could like you could feel it within your own body in such an intense way that I mean, in my case. If I want to paint something, let's say if I want to paint a figure that's like, I don't know, uh, falling or something, I could kind of like feel it within my own body, the, the falling part, but then hitting the ground part and hurting part and breaking everything part, you know, like so, so everything could be sort of intense in, in, in that way where, where I'm able to physically sort of feel the thing that I'm painting. It's not- it sounds like a mutant power for for a painter. So like, I mean, do you think that it made you become a painter in a way? It's possible because I did want to become a psychologist at some point because I wanted to understand maybe all this, you know. Um, but then I realized that, you know, there's there's only so much you could understand. But like the actual making of the work is, you know visually understanding things for me it's always been um more nat more nat more natural to to the way i think than than like with words per se and how were you first did you have to go to a doctor and they kind of said oh no this is an actual condition and and it's you're not you're not crazy or you're not like it's not just in your head that you think that you're you know like when someone says oh i saw a sunset and i cried like that's a normal kind of like emotional thing, but you're, you're, what you're describing is, is physical and, and almost like, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes scared of heights. So if I'm going on the second story of a building indoors and looking over a railing, like I will have feel a physical reaction in my legs that, that kind of like makes me, you know, uh, it's physical. So yes, what was that like? Did you, was there something that kind of made you, talk to somebody or how did you discover how did you put a name to it i think i was just talking to some people about it that you know that are quite expert in it and they kind of pointed it out and then and then um reading about it and trying to trying to understand it and i think that kandinsky book was quite a good one to read where he where he you know describes it and talks about it how he wanted you know how in his paintings like there were like notes of sounds basically. Um, and I think that's, that's something that like, whenever I was trying to make a composition, I would see it as that I would see it as notes of sounds and I would, he I would hear the sounds from it. But then also like, you know, when, when, when I, let's say if I go to the Met and look at some paintings, they also have certain sounds, you know, as my eye moves around in the painting, I could hear these different sounds in, 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 from the paintings, you know, and I'm able to sort of like memorize it in that way. Like, oh, what is this? What is this color or this this brush stroke or whatever? Like, how how does it? Um, um, why does it, why is like why is the Rothko when I look at a Rothko like the way it sort of like vibrates like the sunset? You know, it's the same kind of sound I hear from from both. I mean, it's a, it's it's a very uh, <laughs> it's it's a major comparison, but it kind of reminds me of when people talk about Van Gogh and his, the way that his, you know, starry night and the way that things kind of vibrate in a way that no one really can understand, but he kind of understood it. Is that like a, and I don't know if he's ever been considered to, to connected what he went through with what, you know, with this particular condition. 
Um, is that is that fair? Is that accurate to say? Like, is it kind of this kind of is it hard to describe? I mean, like, is, if, oh, if so yeah. few people sort of can experience what you're experiencing, it's like, how do you how do you write down what taste is if if no one's ever had taste before? Sure. No, I mean, it's it's very hard to describe, and I think I think that's why it it it's sort of for me, it's visually it's easier to kind of like you know work with than than try to just describe it in words but i must say that you know of course there are certain literature that i do read that you know like let's say dante's inferno where you know it's it's all about songs and you know uh, i mean cantos or, or or songs and but like yeah, of course i'm reading it in english so it's very different than the way it was written in italian and the way the words are supposed to have rhythm and stuff but still when i when i do read it they, they do totally manif they they have this sort of like vibration and they're like music and they they have uh, these these visual en- elements in my in in my head that are just like endless, you know. When you went to graduate school, um, there was a, a a visit that I've I've read about when you went to um, a D Day site in Normandy. Can you can you re- recount that experience for me? Sure. Yeah. I mean, when it was such a great um, residency that we went to we went to Normandy and we were staying at this chateau and we were painting every day and every day, like, you know, we had these different art critics and historians that would just talk to us about different things and take us to different sites. So I remember going to the D-Day site and they were like, um, yeah, they were like talking about its history and stuff, but somehow I just kind of started venturing on my own as if I went to, um, I felt like I just went into this place in my head that, um, like like I was in a daze and somehow like my memory was coming back of maybe my experience in Iran and and some of the aftermath visual things that I had witnessed. It it, it had like such a familiar uh, feeling to it as if like I had been there before. And I remember like I was walking around and I was just in a daze and I was just like kept looking around and kept trying to understand this, this, this thing I was feeling. And I remember like when we came back, like I, I, you know, just wrote down so many things in my notebook and, and somehow I started to think that um, I need to just use memory to memory of sounds and vibrations and things to to try to make visual works. And as soon as when I came back, I made these charcoal drawings that were based on memory, you know, based on sounds of sounds and vibrations. And I, I just kept making these, and they were just quite they were just so exciting to me because. I wasn't using any references. These were all coming straight from my memory and they felt more real than anything else I had done because they were like, I was feeling it within my own body. I was like, I was like having goosebumps. I was like the things that the, 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 the lines with the charcoal that I was making, it was like vibrating inside me. And that sort of like started the, um, started the series of works that I'm making now. So like, then I started to, you know, try to make that with paint. And, and I was quite excited about um, the results 
So what's a typical day like in your studio? It's never the same, you know, because, I mean, I show up in the studio every day, that's for sure. Um, but as far as like actual painting, it's always different when when it could it could kind of like the, the actual painting part could begin. So I show up in the studio in the morning and, um, you know, if I've started something, I kind of sit in front of it for a little bit and see if if it's speaking to me today and, you know, what does it need? And maybe there is, maybe, maybe there'll be some kind of communication. Maybe the painting will say, you know, just something simple, like, you know, make, make this another color or whatever. And then I could just start there and I start, start painting like that. And, but then I'm in the studio like all day, like, you know, reading, drawing, looking, painting. And what is the, what is the process like when you, when you're planning uh, a new piece? Do you sketch first? Do you, uh, do you sort of like create a palette of color or what is that sort of, what are those first steps like? Yeah. So I'm never doing any sketches before because I never know what's going to happen. I sort of dive into the abyss you know like the painting goes from being a white canvas to a total abstracted chaos um and you know sound has a huge part of uh making all that all those elements come together so i i begin with very like sort of like large strokes and just thinking about the overall energy of the painting and then it's it's a matter of like sitting and looking into the fragmentations and seeing which part speaks to you and slowly you know there's like notes of sounds all over all over for me and then it's just a matter of like trying to bring all these different elements together um trying to create like harmony between the sounds and you know by sounds i mean like there's there's like notes of sounds for every brush stroke texture color shape but then also later there is uh there's sounds from the actual figures that kind of come out of these too you know there could be like breathing sounds movements heavy sounds ascending descending temperature sounds you know so all those things all those elements are are there and i'm trying to sort of um make them all kind of work together um but then some days, like I said, some days I come in and like, you know, it's just about looking and you're just looking and looking and then like maybe I'm reading a little bit, then I'm looking some more and then who knows, like maybe by afternoon, finally, there's the painting starts speaking to me. So it's different every day that you come into the studio, but the important thing is to show up because you never know, you never know when, when, when things are going to happen, you know? <laughs> And is it, and are you someone that, you know, you, how fast do you work? Do you wind up kind of, cause your, your, your paintings are so intricate and layered and kinetic or is it something where you'll kind of get halfway and be like, ah, it's not really working out and then start over multiple times. Or is it really more slow and steady without ever kind of looking back uh, and kind of layering slowly sure i sense? think i think because of the paintings have so many different like they're like paintings within paintings and they have like mm -hmm. so many different like um parts to it and different portals and in and outs i think i'm able to like work on one part and then if that part is not working maybe that part gets destroyed and then with the accident something new comes out of it I don't think there's ever been a, I mean, of course, I destroy paintings all the time, but 
um, I think when you destroy it and then like something new emerges and then you start working with that. So I think each painting is like a challenge and you kind of go through every different mood, you know, <laughs> how many, how many canvases will you go through kind of on average before you reach one that kind of you're like, you're, that you're not going to, that you're going to keep essentially. I work only one at a time, you know, so one painting, large painting could take anywhere between one to two and a half months or something like that. One painting could totally occupy my mind. So I, it's, it's so many different parts to think about while I'm, while I'm working on it. So I kind of stay with one painting and, and kind of like see it from beginning to, well, I don't want to say end, but to, to, to where, where I feel like it's activated. And do you, would you describe your, your paintings as, as sort of landscape in nature? They're almost kind of like a human or psychological landscape, if you will. Is that, is that accurate? The word I like is like world landscapes. So world landscapes, let's say, uh, you know, sort of like Bosch or Bruegel, where you have like a bird's eye view and you could like sort of, um, you, you, you have like a whole universe within the painting. You know, you have cosmological aspects, you have elements of elements of land, elements of water, air, um, rocks, you know, things like that. And and living things in it dwelling in the space flying things underwater things um but these yeah these 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 things are um a combination each one is like a combination of many different elements like one figure could be like a hybrid of many things you know it could resemble many things and be archetyped for different things but it's interesting because sometimes these type these figures these archetypal figures they show up in other paintings too so they're like sort of my cast of characters that could <laughs> <laughs> do you have do you have names for these characters are there ones that you're that like that they, that you think of like oh uh, there's they don't have yeah they don't have names but um they certainly i i understand like what their purpose is in the painting you know like like you know just like just like a i don't know let's say like a theater or something you know that this is like a authority figure this is a clownish figure this you know so they do they do have sometimes these kind of elements attached to them two paintings in the casman show the healers and only breath are related directly to the pandemic does your day-to-day life often find its way into your work as you're doing them yeah i think it's always like a combination of imagination for sure like memory and I and when i say memory i mean it could be personal memory but it could also be tapping into collective memory you know where there's archetypes and things that exist in in collective memory so it's it's tapping into that combination of like you know current events that are happening that are you know occupying your mind and also of course uh yes your environment my environment, you know, basically when I'm painting, I'm desperately looking for answers anywhere, you know, so it could be, it could be in art history, it could be in my imagination, but it also could be like in my, my immediate environment that heavily affects the work living in New York. I think you, you know, you, you could see so much, you walk around and you see so many different people from different cultures, uh, 
different uh different environments and and if i'm looking for answer in my painting it could just happen to you know somebody could be walking right in front of me with like a certain clothes with certain colors and i'll be like yes there there it is there's the answer or 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 i remember one time i was trying to figure out how to um a new way to sort of like create um separation of space within my work and my five-year-old daughter like we were walking down the street and she kind of stopped in front of like you know these these shutters these um I don't know what they're called, the metal shutters when, when a store is closed or whatever. And she was like walking in front of it. And as at a, and I was observing her, like it was creating this sort of like vibration with the lines. And I was like, ah, oh, there it is. That's it. And then, and I just, and since then I, I started using these lines in my work. So yeah, I mean, it could, it could elements of symbolism could be everywhere. If you're, if you're looking, you'll, you'll see it. <laughs> Before we get back to Ali, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Forte. For more than 160 years, Forte has brought comfort to the homes of the world with masterfully crafted linens of unparalleled quality. The spring-summer collection is inspired by the iconic scenes of the Italian summer. Bright saffron, radiant peach rose, as well as a classic navy blue call to mind the lemons of the Amalfi Coast, the coastlines of Portofino, and the deep blue seas of Sardinia. More than 500 European royal families have slept beneath the sheets of Forte, not to mention more than 1,500 luxury hotels around the world. Visit Forte.com for more information. That's F-R-E-T-T-E dot com. Our understanding of what art can be has really exploded in recent years. As a practitioner of one of the oldest forms of art, is it actually harder to be a painter in today's world of installations and nfts or is it a burden or or is it freeing it's funny because i painted this figure somehow resembles me in this painting that this figure was like a, it was a dinosaur with like brush in his hand and and that totally resembles what you're talking about because it's it's like a dinosaur sort of practice but then you're still trying to use it to, to make an to to say something about our time I think the thing about painting is that it takes, I don't know if there's any other art form that could do this where it activates differently in the viewer's mind and the viewer's eyes when they stand in front of it. It it does something different to you who stands in front of it versus somebody else that comes and stands in front of it after you. And I find that quite interesting in painting that it could do that. And also it's very slow I mean, especially in my work, it's it's quite of a it's quite of a slow thing. I mean, you saw you saw the show. You have to stand in front of each painting for some time in order for it to like unveil itself to you and tell you what what it's about. And and you could basically stand in front of it, and as your eyes moves around in the painting, it starts telling you different things, and then you start seeing different things, and nothing reveals itself to you right away it it takes it takes time even for me who's painted it like i stand in front of the paintings and i i can't see everything at once so it puts you in a it puts you in a different state of mind i mean of course there there are other art forms that could do i mean you could david lynch or you look at like um you know tarkovsky there it's like they're trying to create like moving painting they're trying to put you in this state of mind you know with like where you're like slowing down 
you're just like watching for a while and then something else kind of emerges and so i feel like you know i feel like painting still has it has the power to do that i i can't find and i haven't seen anything else that could do that and also you have to kind of um be aware of like what makes sense to your own nature as a maker you know for me once i started painting oil paintings i knew that this is this is my this is my tool this is what makes sense with my nature and i embrace the history of it and i want to be part of that history uh, and i do i think it's it's more challenging than anything else like you know after after titian and velasquez like what what can i do you know after, after these painters so it's you set a very 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 high bar right yeah no you've never mentioned anybody that's you know <laughs> easy <laughs> yeah so so you, you you set a very high bar and i think i like that challenge because i know that till the day i die i'm gonna paint and i might not even get close to these painters that i admire so much but but the challenge is quite thrilling and it's exciting for me to kind of try at least try every day just try to be as good a little bit you know as as the as the painters that i admire so yeah thank you to ali and his team at kasman gallery for making this episode a reality you can learn more about his show at kasmangallery.com. The editor of this episode is Stan Hall, and transcriptions are by Kara Johnson. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Grand Tourist. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein or at The Grand Tourist Podcast to learn more. Don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen, and leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time. <laughs>